Project A Podcast. Welcome to this special episode of the Project A Podcast. My name is Rainer Berak. I'm operating partner at Project A, the operational VC. We have big news. Project A has just closed its 2022 vintage, which is now our fund number four. We would like to use this opportunity to share some information about this new fund, which go beyond the news you would typically get in a PR announcement. I therefore have the pleasure to speak with two persons from our investment team who were just promoted to principals and who will have a major impact on that new fund. But before that, I'm happy to welcome Uwe Horstmann, one of the founding partners of Project A, and certainly one of the people who had the biggest impact on the development of Project A over the last 10 years. Hi, Uwe. Hi, Rainer. Great to be here again. Let's jump right in and just start with telling us a little bit about the new fund. Sure, happy to. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, it's been it's been a decade, and uh, I think it's fair to say that we are also we learned a lot during that period, uh, also about how venture capital works. Obviously, back then, 10 years, we got into this um, with our first fund. And now 10 years later, the ecosystem has developed quite nicely. But I also hope that we have developed quite significantly. Um, and the new fund is a 375 million US dollar fund. So significantly larger uh, compared to what we had raised before. It brings us now close to a billion in total under assets under management which is, of course, a great step for us if you just look at the numbers. But most importantly, it's also our tool to just remain active in the market. As you have seen in the past couple of weeks, uh, it's a bit unclear where exactly that market is developing. You know, things are a bit more uh, uncertain than they were last year. 2021 was a fantastic year for everyone in the venture capital world. Everybody thought we are going to be so successful. The whole industry was kind of like high on emotion. You know, it's a bit of a come down in terms of uh, almost like a hangover after that fantastic year. But for us, it doesn't really matter because that fund is there because we are long term believers in the development of the European ecosystem. We are very convinced that there will be great business being built in times of crisis or in uh, times of huge economic success that can combine actual tangible impact on quality of life improvement for the people who are directly or indirectly benefiting it from it. And that also those companies will be commercially successful. I mean, that's what we're here for. That, those are the entrepreneurs we want to back. Uh, also in those, you know, a bit more complicated times. That's why we're very happy that the new fund now is significantly larger because it just allows us to do more of what we, what we love to do. It also allows us to back those entrepreneurs even further and give them even more of a, you know, head start or a gentle push on the bicycle. Uh, when they uh, uh, kick off the journey. Can you get a little bit more specific on the type of founders and companies that you're targeting with a new fund? Yeah, sure. I mean, so generally, technically, we are talking about an early stage venture fund. So that means pre-seed, seed, series A. Um, those are our usual investments uh, where we become very active. And the type of entrepreneur we are, type of entrepreneurs we are targeting is actually not much more defined than that because we don't want to limit ourselves to just this is the one person, this is just the one type of team that we do want, we want to back. We have a pan-European mandate, and those tend to be people anywhere on the continent, um, sometimes also beyond, but mostly focused on Europe, that have been building something based on an insight that they had that is somewhat unique, right? So they are dealing with a problem, and one way or another, they have found a different approach to it. 
Um, and once they have been, you know, either starting to work on the idea or whether they had some first success, we are then there to, to back them on the earliest stage um, of their journey. So a ticket from $1 million to $10 million could be helpful. If that, is kinda, if that sounds like you, then we are definitely an entrepreneur that we would like to talk to. This year, Project A turns 10 years. Is it a coincidence that the new fund is announced now? I would like to tell you that, you know, we had this great orchestration plan for the past few years going on, master, mass, master plan that I have here in an Excel file on my desktop that I just open every day. I can check, oh, I'm in month 84 of the Project A history now. I should be there. But the short answer is no, it is quite a bit of a, a coincidence. Um, we uh, are obviously very happy that all of this now comes together. A billion in 10 years sounds kind of good. But, you know, uh, to be really honest, that is by chance. I mean, obviously, we always had those growth plans, right? So it's not, it doesn't come from anywhere, but um, no, it's, it is coincidence. But any plans for the 10-year anniversary? I don't know. Do we have any, Rainer? Are you aware of anything? Well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, um, you know, our organization is a bit different, right? Because we are by now 140 people, uh, which is very different from a uh, normal venture capital fund. The Regular listeners of those of this podcast obviously know exactly what I'm talking about. And um, it becomes quite clear that this is much, much more of a team effort than it would be with other VC funds. Um, you mentioned earlier that you know, when you introduced me kindly, you said, like, oh, a person that sh has shaped this fund. And also, always I'm very thankful for that. But um, it is very humbling to see how many people are actually choosing Project A to be a relevant part of their career. And those are the, this is the team, those are the people who made all of this possible. So it's very important that we celebrate with all of them because this is really a team success. And that's why we are taking everyone on a little trip uh, the coming week. If you work at Project A, it includes a little company vacation from time to time, which is not only a vacation. I mean, there will be celebration, but there will also be a lot of hard work done under the Italian sun, all of us together. And I think it's going to be a, a fitting, um, uh, yeah, a fitting occasion to kind of celebrate. Things are coming together quite nicely, but you know, sometimes it's just the universe that is sending you a sign, I think. Maybe switching to the investors in the new fund. Who is that? Who's invested in our new fund generation? So we are very thankful that basically everyone who invested in the old fund is also investing in the new fund. Um, and that is, you know, there's, there's sometimes chatter about the operational venture capital model, how does it work and so on. But, you know, the market has spoken, the investors have spoken, they have given us a strong mandate to continue what we're doing. Um, and that is great. So we were able to basically have everyone who was on the, in the old fund, also in the new fund. That being said, we had a lot of people kind of expand their commitments and some new investors as well. Um, the investor base is, I would say, consists of three large buckets. The first buckets are international institutionals. Um, so, you know, your large, typical venture capital investors, uh, big endowments, fund of funds, and so on. Um, hopefully, we'll see more of the German funds uh, also in, in that bucket. But so far, it's very international, so American and, and, and pan-European. Then we work with a select group of family offices and corporates um, who are not strategic investors in the sense that they have any influence over what we do, but we do love to work with them because there's a lot of mutual benefit um, when it comes to working with a portfolio and connecting them with, with large corporates who can be customers or, or partners of, of any sort. And then as a third group, we have um, you know, prominent key figures of the tech scene that are you know, successful, entrepreneurs, angels, investors, and we obviously love to have them as part of the family as well. This is a 
ecosystem in which you do want to be good friends with with people and good friends doesn't mean you're just friendly on the outside but you do you want to have meaningful relationships and we are very thankful that we have a large group of people who have those relationships with us and we can collaborate on them whether it's on deal flow on evaluating on expansions and all kinds of things so i'm very thankful for that and uh, those three groups have kind of subscribed us given us the proof has given have given us a thumbs up what you guys have been building over the past 10 years is successful um obviously also the financial return is there for those people but also they subscribe to the idea and we're very thankful for them for having given us the mandate to continue what we're doing with the the largest fund ever that we have raised so far what's the expected trajectory for the new fund over the next five years I mean, just very broadly speaking, you know, a fund has typically a duration of 10 years, um, which I think is important to know because we are not in this for the short, short term. Also, if we talk about the, the current, you know, critical situation or like the, the crisis that we see in the funding market, all of our investments have a long term horizon. So we don't do anything where we would just rely on, oh, yeah, we need to kind of flip this in the next 12, 24 months. Otherwise, it doesn't work out. So any investment that we do has that long term perspective. That means if I take this 10-year period, we now enter a phase in which we build up the portfolio. Uh, we want to build up a portfolio of roughly 30 companies, you know, just very broadly speaking. Um, we are investing uh, initial tickets, as mentioned, between 1 to 10 million. And then we can do significant follow-on investments in the companies uh, where this makes sense. Um, so you know, in, in, in companies like Trade Republic, we invested a multiple uh, of, of those amounts uh, because the company was just ready to absorb that kind of capital. So that's kind of the trajectory. For the next three, four, five years, we'll be building up the portfolio and then we'll be switching into a uh, portfolio management mode with that fund and hopefully starting to build up a new portfolio out of a new fund. Uh, but all of this with a long-term perspective, we probably can expect the markets to go up and down and up and down a few times until this, you know, uh, this cohort of companies then matures also into an exit perspective um, so yeah, we, we have a pretty long-term perspective on that. You already mentioned that Project A is a little bit different as a VC. What's different and how does that help in the competitive market out there? You know, a couple of things, because like when we, again, touching base on the, on the founding story in, in 2012, the world didn't need another undifferentiated venture capital investor that just tries to uh, put money into companies. And what was true back then It's even more true now because the ecosystem has developed amazingly well with much more investors, many more investors, much more capital available. Um, so we're constantly thinking about how can we differentiate? There are a couple of things. Um, on the investment side, for example, um, as uh, Emei and Leo will tell you in a second, we try to be very conviction-driven. Thankfully, we are not in a situation anymore where um, you just are screening for momentum and whatever that company does, as long as it has traction, you need to invest. That was the old world uh, back when you really had to be in any kind of unicorn company in Europe to make your fund work. Um, that Those times are thankfully over and now we are much more flexible. So the investment team, you know, we are around 10 investment professionals, everyone with their specific areas of expertise and with a clear understanding, a clear conviction about what will be successful in, uh, in those respective industries. So they'll be able to tell you a little, but I think that that characterizes our investment approach conviction-driven, uh, conviction driven, based on um, actual insights into the markets, but also kind of informed, of course, by our operational team. And that operational team is the second aspect, I would say. No other venture capital firm in, in Europe has a team of 140 who are 
not just consultants, not just a freelancer pool, but actually full-time on our payroll, working with the portfolio companies every day. Um, if there's anybody out there who does it, please reach out. We don't know you yet, but we'd love to <laughs> compare notes. Um, it, uh, it was quite a journey to get there, obviously, but I think now it really works well. Uh, we see that those teams are helping very early stage companies, but they're also supporting, uh, and especially also supporting our massive successes. You know, if you look at a, a trader public sender crew, uh, companies like that are massively supported by our team. I mean, as, as no one knows uh, better than you, uh, Rainer, obviously, but that is a differentiating factor. We don't do this because we think entrepreneurs need it. You know, we don't do this because we think otherwise our portfolio companies would go bust. We do this because we think that the best teams will be able to extract massive values out of those teams. Um, and that is an important distinction. We're not looking for stuff to fix. We're looking for excellent teams, excellent entrepreneurs. And if they are really excellent, they will understand that having this optionality, um, because that is an optionality, it's never a must. It's always an option for them to kind of engage with people who have seen a lot of success and a lot of failure. They understand that this will be valuable for them, maybe right away, maybe later on. But we are definitely seeing how this concept of the, of the operational VC um, is uh, now widely accepted in the market among our investors, among our team members and among the prospective portfolio as well. Uh, so that's the second differentiation, of course. So now it's one thing to work with the companies once we have invested. Um, but how do you think the operational model can help when talking to potential founders? So also, again, two aspects. One of them is, of course, we can we can talk about the examples, you know, the projects that I just mentioned that are available on the website and the case studies where uplift was generated, where people were hired. You know, we, we process tens of thousands of applications for the portfolio and we hire hundreds of people for the portfolio every year. You know, that's all very tangible and we're happy to provide those numbers. But then also in, in the process of getting to know each other, um, there's a phase that you know we obviously call due diligence, where we try to understand what those companies are doing. But also, the companies should due diligence us. They should look at us as an investor. Is this really a fund an investor that I want to work with? And one really great tool is um, not really us working through checklists and just looking for red flags. One really good tool is we have actual discussions on operational level. Let's talk. Let's say, for example, about data infrastructure. Um, and it's not so much a test, it's really just a conversation and they get a feeling about how we function as an organization, what kind of people are around the table when they deal with Project A. And on the, on, and on the other hand, we of course also get an insight in how open are those people for input. Because as I mentioned before, you know, this is not about something where we, we want to hijack a company. We don't want to tell people what to do. We want to provide another voice um, in a discussion. We want to provide another tool in the arsenal for the best entrepreneurs. And the really, really good ones, they will just be able to utilize that very much to their advantage. And that's what we're trying to demonstrate also in the getting to know each other, in the mutual uh, uh, due diligence process. What does success look like to Project A? That is probably something that everybody would say it's it's very simple. It's a, it's, it's a big fund multiple or raising a lot of money in the name of the uh, ventures we have invested in. But it's probably a little bit more than that. And I think the view on this is a little bit skewed by a lot of TV shows. So what is it for you? What What is the definition of success for us? Yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, and I've seen it in a script and I was thinking quite a bit because it would be easy to just, you know, focus on the numbers and 
probably no surprise the numbers look pretty good. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have been able to expand so much and raise a big fund. For me, success, the best leading indicator for success and also success itself is if we see that people are willing to bet a large part of their lifetime on Project A. And what do I mean by that? I mean by that people like you, like Rainer, like uh, May, like Leo, who's saying, yeah, okay, this sounds like a very, very good opportunity for me because all of you have options to, to work you know, in, in, in other uh, outfits, other venture funds, other industries and so on. But if we are successful in providing a product for you guys, for the team members, for the 140 people to say, yes, this is what I want to be, where I want to work, then that is success for me. Because so I'm thinking about Project A, um, yes, as an investment product, but also as a product for its employees and for its portfolio. Because we are in a very tough competition, both on the talent side, as well as on the investing slash portfolio side. And we need to be top of mind. Um, so if, I'm, if, I, if I can observe that that remains intact, that people continue to bet on Project A as a really, really good stepping stone, as one important ingredient to their careers or through their company building, then I think that's what success will look like. And then the financial success will follow. Because yeah, there will always be ups and downs when it comes to uh, how a portfolio develops. It's just the nature of things. You know, we don't get everything right, but we need to make sure that fundamentally we are a very, very important product. We are an interesting product for both the talent side, uh, which is both operational and investing, as well as for the portfolio. Then I think we're going to be successful. Now, at the moment, there's a lot of talk about firms pulling term sheets due to the cooling market conditions. What is your strategy during this period and have you made any changes? It's a very good question. I, I think we deliberately decided not to take fundamental changes. Um, we were also not one of the companies or one of the investors that in 2021 and 2020 just went all in and paid high, super high valuation just to get the deal done. And now it's a bit of a problem to even justify that valuation uh, that you that a company potentially got last year, so we're not really affected that much by that, that by the by that problem anyway. I think we are obviously focusing, like everybody, um, on the concept of efficient growth. Um, so all of the companies we're looking at, we're really trying to understand, maybe even a bit better than before, um, how their growth curve looks like and what the underlying economics are for that growth. Um, but beyond that, we're not changing some we're not changing anything significantly so we're not pausing investments we are not completely focusing on other things uh or anything like that so we remain very much open for business i think it's fair to say that the valuations that we deal with have come down to a certain degree um but we're still there we're still there to kind of you know take a leap of faith with entrepreneurs we're still there to um also un try to understand what is already there and what do we need to prove in the next round. So that hasn't fundamentally changed. Um, so I think the parameters have tuned a little bit towards you know, a more healthy state, but we remain very much open for business. Uh, but how do you look at this change in the company valuations? They're going down. There are startups who are uh, having to fire people. Um, which role can the new fund play in that? So I mean, the new fund will mostly invest in an earlier stage, right? And I think for all of us uh, now as a market or as an ecosystem, the task is to calibrate maybe a bit better what should we actually be doing? What should the valuations at the earlier stage be? How much capital will we need? And what is the ambition for the next round? Um, because I think that's where the market kind of you know derailed a little bit. If you, if you raise um, at a too high valuation, and maybe you also raise a bit, in quotation marks, too much money, 
you become very inefficient or that the risk is there that you become inefficient. And now you are, have the situation that you have to let go of people and you have the situation that you might not be able to meet the valuation that you actually uh, wanted to go into. And that creates a problem. For us on the earlier stage, for the new portfolio, I think we'll continue to do what we do. We do this in a, um, a healthy, structurally sound way. And I think we'll be uh, able to navigate this crisis quite well. Uh, we're equipping our companies also with enough runway, especially on the new investments now. Um, and we'll be able to work with uh, you know, a lot of exciting new entrepreneurs who start their companies now, even though the market might not be that good. One other thing that is special about Project A is that we have some ring-fenced capital for private equity co-investments. How does this fit with the core strategy of investing early at pre-seed and seed? Yeah, that's a very interesting thing, and it always requires a bit of explanation. So, you know, probably a podcast is a, is a good format for that. Um, we do have um, a certain allocation, and by now actually also like a separate fund, to do this, what we call the private equity co-investment strategy. What do we mean by that? There are companies out there who are not technically at the venture stage anymore, because often they have just proven their business models. They're profitable, they're still growing fast. They're very, very interesting and structurally healthy companies. And those do not tend to be uh, a good investment case for venture capital firms, but for private equity funds. And together with those private equity funds, we invest in those companies. Those are mostly majority takeovers. So we actually buy out the whole company. And the, really, the fit really happens at the operational level then also. So um, if we can help companies that are still proving out their you know, product market fit or proving out their scaling or their go-to-market, we can probably also help companies that are transforming themselves digitally. A lot of those companies are, very, those private equity companies are very successful companies, but they might be lacking or they might still have a lot, like a lot of potential and upside in the digital transformation. And that's where we come in. Uh, we do this together with partners. Uh, we have done this roughly 10 or 11 times so far, and we're very happy now that we can kind of funnel this into a separate strategy and continue to scale this. Is this PE co-investment strategy also an indication that Project A will follow its own money into the growth stage? We definitely want to be able to invest more also in companies in the growth stage. Uh, so first and foremost, this will be companies that uh, we have invested in a, at a very early stage, they develop nicely, and we can deploy more capital. We definitely want to be able to do that. Um, so we feel more comfortable, I guess, with with generally more later stage companies. Uh, we are getting better at evaluating them, or we have learned a lot on how to evaluate them, both fueled by our own activities as well as by the private equity co-investment side. Operationally, I think we feel very comfortable with the, with the later stage companies as well. And I think occasionally we'll also look into you know, co-investment at, let's say, a Series B level. So adding a portfolio company new to the portfolio, also the later stage on the venture side, will also be, be open to that. And we have done that actually already a few times. Thanks, Uwe. And now I'm thrilled to talk to the future and, to be honest, also the present of Project A. Leo and May have just been promoted to principal. Congratulations. And they will be driving our next fund to a large extent. They have already played a vital role in all the investments we have done in recent times, as they are around already for a while in our team. Leo and May, the next questions are for you. Maybe we can start with the question of what are your more specific roles? You are the two new principals. How do you share your work? Thanks, Ryan, for the introduction. Um, yeah, I mean, the way I would answer that question is we are now a bigger fund. Um, we are a relatively lean team. 
Uh, so everyone in the team is working hands on deck. So as an investment manager or principal on our team, we basically run the entire investment process from start to end. So everyone in the, as investment manager or principal is responsible to source deals, be it in the respective industries um, or geographies, building relationships with you know, angels, founders, other venture capital funds and industry experts to basically create and nourish a network. We all are responsible to run the investment process from start to end, being building relationship with, with, it, with the founders, uh, doing due diligences, um, and, and then also the, the investment execution at the end of it. And then also following on as soon as the investment has been executed to support the company on an ongoing basis. As a principal, obviously, this also means that the whole work after investment becomes more and more important, being through board seats, et cetera, uh, and just making sure that the company gets all the support um, on an ongoing basis afterwards. Answering the second question, how, how do we actually share, share work? And, and, and also, thanks, first of all, for uh, yeah the nice words and, and welcoming us here uh, on, the, on the podcast. So I think one thing I really like about um, working at Project A and in venture is that there are a lot of different ways in which you can uh, yeah, build up a track record and, and also do a really good job, I think. Um, so, you know, there is no one, uh, basically, if you come in the team telling you, hey, this is how you need to write that email, this is how you need to answer to, to, to that question. But there are a lot of individual styles, both, both in terms of uh, what interests do people have, what uh, founder types do they really uh, like, what yeah technologies do they find exciting. So I think everyone in the team has a very different uh, style of working as well. Uh, but compared to other funds, I feel that we are work very collaboratively. So uh, we have a lot of experts in the team on various topics. Um, and we tend to share a lot of uh, exciting companies also amongst each other to find the person who is actually best equipped um, to, to make an analysis of, of that company. I mean, I think some uh, venture capital funds also work a little bit more individualized, I would say, where if I find something interesting, but actually May has much much deeper knowledge uh, of the topic, where maybe yeah we other funds deal with it differently, but... I think here in the team, we very strongly believe that, uh, yeah, we have really good experts in, in, in different fields. So, uh, yeah, we work very collaboratively and trying really to make a team effort and, and take the best decisions, find the best investment as a team and put our personal um, sort of egos a little bit uh, behind, which I find, yeah, very uh, refreshing. Uwe already mentioned uh, ticket size. Um, Leo, can you be more specific on that and give us insights into what the investment strategy of the new fund will be? Yeah, so I mean, roughly, if we um, if we do the, the the sort of the quick facts first, um, we can invest tickets initially of up to 10 million euros, um, and we can go up to 30 to 40 million um, investment size out of the main fund. Um, per company so we do have quite a bit of uh, firepower per company um, and on the earlier side um, actually first investment round angel investment uh, round pre-seed round that is something where um, that isn't our main focus but we do have the flexibility to invest basically on a pitch deck only and yeah we have done so in the past a couple of times um, overall in terms of industries and sectors that we focus on um, 
yeah, we, we still remain uh, opportunistic, uh, probably overall. So um, both consumer B2B, um, we have certain focus areas that we spend more on and, and those periodically change over time. And we, we constantly also ask ourselves, are the industries that we are active in, are these actually still the most interesting industries? Is there anything uh, coming up that, that, that we should uh, put more focus on? Um, yeah, and then just backing the most ambitious and, and smartest founders in Europe uh, tackle large problems of our times um, that, that are structurally interesting over the next yeah, 10 to 20 years. I think um, that is how we fundamentally uh, think of our, yeah, of our job and our mandate. Um, so yeah, also um, referencing again what, what Uwe said, um, I think our job is to find uh, structurally very interesting and exciting companies that are sustainable and, and substantial, substantial, uh, substantially solving problems for uh, their customers. And I think, um, yeah, then that's also why we aren't um, so much affected by the latest swings in the market. May, do you have specific sectors that you plan to invest in? So as Leo and, and Uwe already alluded to, so the fund obviously stays sector agnostic. And then there's a few sectors that have been kind of legacy sectors within our investment strategy, just to name a few, digital health, uh, fintech, enterprise software, et cetera. And those are kind of industries that are so large where we believe, even though we haven't legacy, we're nowhere near done yet. So those will continue. Apart from that, we have identified a few sectors that we would love to double down in, one of which is, for example, uh, gaming, where my dear colleague Jack brings a lot of expertise in and, and is looking at the space where we would invest at, at the early stages. Another one um, that for us is very, very important uh, for the new fund as well is sustainability and green tech, for example. So here we believe, we have the, the strong belief that it's it's a global issue where interestingly, unlike other industries, you don't really have clear indication of what the industry is going to look like in a few years, where we can basically take part in, in shaping in an industry from, the, from scratch. So sustainability and green tech is definitely going to be one of those crucial sectors in the new fund uh, for us to invest in that we're very, very excited about. Anything to add, Leo? Yeah, I mean, I think we, so we specialize quite strongly uh, individually, as I already mentioned. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm quite excited about, I would say, the broader topic of digital infrastructure. Um, so we have done a couple of investments specifically in, in, in data infrastructure and tooling, which is, I think, a topic that is very close to our hearts also from uh, the operational side and the way we believe uh, companies should be run. Um, but yeah, more recently, we've also done a couple of uh, yeah more hardware focused or yeah tangent uh, topics that are also I think addressing huge problems um, that yeah that we're currently seeing seeing in the world um, so yeah I would broadly say digital infrastructure uh, commercial open source uh, data those are the topics that that I'm yeah, really excited in recently besides sectors when you screen the market and you're trying to find and, and hunt down the best companies to invest in. What are you looking for? What do you look for in these companies? Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's a tough question, of course, because every, let's say, every company is different, right? Every industry is very different. But if I can just speak about my, my personal um, opinion, I mean, it's often said that, right, 
team is the most important success factor for for any startup that that we invest in and um, particularly you know in the areas that that i cover a lot of products and markets and and solutions are very technically and often these founders uh, yeah or rather have a, a technical background maybe even a phd um and a oftentimes these topics are also very complex to uh yeah to explain to an investor what actually the the, the product does what it solves and and how it works and i think i'm really excited sometimes by founders that you know despite um having more of a technical background and being absolute experts and what they do um, they have a very clear way of communicating also uh, with non-experts what it actually does why it is important and, and why you should invest uh, sometimes you come out of these calls um, let's say 30 minutes some crazy uh, quantum computing and um, even though you aren't really sure you understand what the company does they still give you uh, the founders still give you a feeling hey, I think this is something we should spend time on. We have to get deeper into this is something we need to understand and eventually also invest. So I think that is a skill that I'm uh, yeah, very um, impressed with uh, by, by very technical founders who can um, yeah, put that on a very easy and digestible uh, level what, they, what the company does. If you look at our previous funds, which companies, which successful ventures would you highlight from these? So, I mean, obviously, there's there's plenty of successful companies in the past funds. Maybe one that I personally um, would highlight would be Pactum, which is a company, actually one of the first in, in investments that we did in the Baltic. So the, our first investment in Estonia, fantastic team. And actually, it was it was a it was a company that we invested in that actually came out of one of those deep dives that we alluded to earlier. So. We were looking at the area of legal tech in the past um, and uh, came across Pactum, ended up having kind of an intersection of legal tech and procurement, uh, which totally fit into what we what we were uh, looking for uh, in, in those industries. Um, and yeah, to highlight that one, they're, what they're doing is basically um, automating contract negotiations at a large scale. So um, that can be applied in various different industries, um, mostly selling to large enterprises. And something that I would highlight there as well is actually from the start, when it was just three founders, um, pre-product actually at the time, they were able to convince some of the largest organizations in the world uh, that they would be able to add value. So I think that also having, for going back to what, what Leo said earlier, that that founder you know special thing that they can convince people that they're actually changing something pactum is a perfect example for leo any highlight uh, on your side yeah um i mean a couple of them i have to be biased now and, and pick some of the some of the companies that i work with of course um no but i think one one company i think that that fits the whole theme that i spoke about quite well uh is quicks um so what they do is, is more or less uh, infra, they build infrastructure for real-time data experiences. Um, yeah, they've done that at uh, McLaren. Um, they have built the racetrack infrastructure to do decision-making in Formula One, and, and now they're commercializing the, the technology and, and enabling a lot of organizations um, yeah, to profit from, from the platform instead of starting from scratch, doing a lot of heavy lifting. Um, so I think that is one company where I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we'll, we'll see a lot more. Um, but also, I think some of the more hardware and R&D focused topics, uh, some of the more recent investments we invested in one company, uh, Black Semiconductor, that develops a new 
photonics platform that can potentially you know change the way that chips microchips semiconductors um yeah function and and, and that is i think something that would really be a stepwise you know innovation where founders you know potentially get the nobel prize for something like that if it if it works out so i think that is exactly the type of of bets and and sizes uh of yeah how mark how markets can be transformed that, that that we have to invest and have to think about um so yeah those are just two recent examples yeah and i think that proves um the the depths in which uh us um principles and as an investment team um, go because I guess a lot of people would expect us to have a full focus only on the trade republic senders breakers cruise etc the the known ones the, the the unicorns but there's really a lot of love for those companies who try to develop something new that will really change the world and and you as an investment team go after that and and work a lot together with them and on them in order to build the unicorns of of tomorrow and the day after tomorrow What expertise do you offer the companies you have invested in? What does that actually look like in practice? Once we invest into a company, obviously we work very closely with a company on an on a on a board level. So I think some of the the most important kind of support functions that we have after investment is, I mean, first and foremost, I guess just being a shoulder to cry on. So we always say, kind of, um, you know investing into a company is some sort of marriage. So it's, 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 it also gets emotional in the sense of that uh, sometimes you just have to be there for the founder if things get tough or if actually things go really well. So that would be, I guess, one of the, one of the main things. And then when it comes to, you know, creating a network, supporting with a network, um, even making introductions to potential clients, et cetera. And then when it comes to financing of the company, give advice as to how to manage the runway, how to manage new fundraising rounds, how to make, manage relationships with the follow-on investment investors. Um, at Project A specifically, um, I would say obviously a big part is also the operational side of Project A uh, and that was the support that we, the expertise that we actually can provide there. I think one of the rarities to, to phrase it, I guess in a slightly different way is that we have 120 heads in house that have worked in various business models in various industries. So the chances of finding in a, basically a best practice or a similar situation that has happened in a different portfolio company where we actually had hands-on experience in solving this problem is very, very high, the likelihood that we have that already in-house. So I think that's one of the things that we actually differentiate ourselves very well in is that there's always somehow that somehow the knowledge of a best practice for certain situations given, given the work that we have done in the past. Leo, any different for you? Yeah, I think it's I think it's quite well summarized um, by May. I think in general we have uh, yeah we, we have the ambition to be the most helpful investor on the cap table, and uh, then I think beyond that, but we, we never yeah we never tell founders how to do things. I think it's our philosophy is always uh, to to be deep enough into the business, the market, competitors customers to have a, a, a really good understanding of, of what the what the founders do and what their problems uh, and, and solutions might be and you know you never want to be having to get educated by the founder in order to try and help them to solve a problem right I think that is that is very crucial and then yeah be, beyond that I think um, which how that then looks like I mean of course we have regular meetings with with founders you know where we just discuss hey how's it going what are your challenges how is it 
what, what is happening. Um, and I think beyond that, it, it really uh, depends on finding a good individual working mode that, that can be very different from, from different founders. Um, some maybe, you know, you're very actively chatting over, um, over a messenger. Um, maybe someone else just, just calls you regularly. So I think, um, yeah, there are lots of different ways uh, how that's done. Um, but I think, yeah, as May also mentioned, um, the one thing, yeah, as an investor, I think you, you should really be able to help founders in their situations uh, yeah, in, in which things are not going well. And we all know that this is the, um, yeah, this is the daily business in, in any young company that things don't, don't work out left and right. Um, so, yeah. May, in what way are the companies we invest in reshaping their industries? And can you give, you, can you give a few examples? So I think I actually thought uh, a little bit about this question and and kind of what what we would what we would mean by re reshaping industries and and I think there's actually not not a really clear definition about what reshaping industries would mean. So I think for us one way of a company reshaping an industry could be that it actually has some sort of you know super defensible new technology that hasn't existed before extremely innovative that, you know, eventually in, I don't know how many years time could lead to, you know, Nobel Prize. So that would be reshaping an industry. And that would definitely be a type of reshaping that we would love. But at the same time, what we see in our day to day, having looked at various industries, etc., we also see that reshaping could be um, much, much less, I would say, I guess, heavy in the sense of that sometimes reshaping could simply be taking an industry that is working in a way but that's also some somehow not really running efficiently in in some way broken that little tweaks could make a huge difference reshaping could also be that using already a proven concept from one industry and applying it to another industry to make that better so i would personally say i think reshaping could have very many different faces Leo, um, we talked already about the difficulties in the economy at the moment and uh, specifically in our industry. Um, being in that environment, what would you recommend to founders in this current situation? Yeah, that's that's probably a topic for a whole, whole separate podcast. I think, um, I mean, what, what we've done, of course, with our founders is, is basically look at uh, Yeah, how much how much cash run rate do they have? Um, are there any um, yeah any substantial risks in the customer base um, that that could potentially churn? I mean, in the end, it's it's largely uh, I guess a case by case situation that that it's hard to compare. Um, but maybe some some general uh, just just pieces of uh, of advice. Um, I think it's not good to be too focused on the past or things, you know, how things have been the last one or two years. It's, I think it's really important to accept the new, uh, and the new situation and yeah, whatever comes with it also in terms of fundraising, maybe and not being able to, um, yeah, not being able to, to get offers that are as attractive as they were maybe, maybe last year. But I think just reiterating on, on what Uwe said um, in the first part, I think we are structurally still at very interesting times in the European digital tech uh, ecosystem where a lot of very successful and in itself sustainable companies uh, can get built and will get built. Um, and I think as a, as a founder, right, you need to think about um, do I have a product that is appealing for um, a large amount of, of customers? Can I sell that efficiently? And I think if, if both of these 
um, aspects are sort of true, then um, yeah, there's nothing to really worry about. Um, so I think yeah, times haven't dramatically changed, but it's just very important to yeah accept the new reality, be smart about it, um, and and yeah, ask yourself the right questions as a founder. But I think if that is the case, then yeah, we will also still see a lot of uh, exciting businesses being built and a lot of um, funding rounds also this year. Also this week will probably be some yeah really exciting funding rounds will get signed. Thank you so much, May and Leo. Thanks for your insights into the investment strategy for a new fund, but also beyond uh, some very good tips for, uh, for founders out there. I wish you, in my personal interest, all the best for your next investments. Uh, very much looking forward to that. And that's it for today, folks. Thanks a lot for listening in. We appreciate your interest. If you want to know about Project A and the stuff we do on both the investment side, as well as grab a lot of operational knowledge, just go to project-a.com. And of course, feel free to visit us at the Project A Knowledge Conference in October. The ticket application process is open now. And for the podcast, if you want to hear more of us, subscribe to this podcast, rate it, review it, and of course, share it with all your colleagues, friends, and families. Goodbye. Hello, podcast listeners. We have some exciting news for you. Our Project A Knowledge Conference is back and happening on October 7th at Kultur Brauerei in Berlin. If you want to get to the heart of the European startup ecosystem and connect with founders, leading investors, and digital experts, join us for a whole day of knowledge sharing and networking, where experts from every area of digital operations will share their insights and best practices. This year, we're bringing you an amazing speaker lineup, including Christian Hacker, co-founder and CEO at Trade Republic, Lubomila Jordanova, co-founder and CEO at Plan A, and Philip Glockler and Philip Klockner, co-hosts of the Doppelganger Tech Talk podcast. Apply for a free ticket now or purchase one directly from our website, knowledge-conference.project-a.com.